And I will lay up in a week or two. But do you remember the three questions that we've got in our back pocket as we come to anything in Mark? Um, Three different ways of analysing the text or different questions which are helpful to ask. They are, who is Jesus? What did he come to do? And what does it mean to follow him? And we said in the first couple of weeks that rule of thumb, first half is about who is Jesus, second half is about what did he come to do, and what does it mean to follow him, it's dotted right through. But we also said it's not as simple as that. And in this week we will see something of who he is and what he's come to do in these little encounters. And so the story continues because the king continues to speak. This is a gospel of words, a gospel of preaching, a gospel of a message that he brings to a people. And we saw in week one something of the kind of king that this speaking guy was going to be. We saw in 1 verse 2 from Malachi that he's going to come and he's going to come and judge God's people. That was the context from Malachi. And then we saw in 1 verse 3 from Isaiah that he's going to come and rescue a people for himself. And we saw last week that his words were striking and stark. Mark gave us very deliberately stripped down and bare models of what discipleship looks like. So Jesus would say to someone, come and follow me, and they leave it all behind. And they follow him. And now it's not about them, it's about him. And then it's not just his friends. He preaches in the synagogue and people are amazed because he preaches with authority, not like their normal teachers. He drives out demons, his enemies, and his identity. And this week, in these three little scenarios that Alex read for us, we have got more of an insight into the kind of king that he's come to be, the kind of stuff he's come to do. What we're going to do is we're going to spend most of our time on the third little incident with the leper, and move fairly quickly through the first two. I'm keen for us to slow down with the leper, because I think when we dig deep into that, you get the clearest picture yet of what he's going to come and do, both his identity and his mission. So we we will work our way through Simon's mother-in-law, and then the solitary place as well, and slow right down with the leper from the final bit of the chapter. First point, though, 29 to 34, the king who heals. And the camera follows Jesus into the house of Simon and Andrew. And inside we learn that Simon's mother-in-law is ill. She's in bed. She's in bed with a fever and we get sickness. Sickness is a new dimension, a new aspect to the story of Mark. It's something fresh. And in our context, fever doesn't sound that bad. In theirs it was. They didn't have a whole lot of medicine and fever may well have been life-threatening for her. But actually what is important is that sickness, that a fever reminds them of something else. That's when you work your way back through the Old Testament and you see firstly that sickness is part of our mortality. Sickness is a preamble looking forward to death. Secondly, God imposed mortality on the human race after the fall. That mortality tells us we're not God. Tells us that he's in charge, that things are not as they are meant to be, that we have stepped out of line with uh, reality. 
But thirdly and vitally, God's promised king would come and deal with sin and the consequences of sin. So firstly, sickness is a preamble to mortality and therefore death. Secondly, it's a God-imposed thing. And thirdly, God's king who comes is going to come and deal with this stuff. He's going to come and deal with sickness and death. And so verse 31, not a mother-in-law gag in sight, he went to her, he took her hand, he helped her up, and the fever left her, and she began to wait on them. It's a little story that carries a huge amount of weight if we read it in the context of the Old Testament and what was expected of God's king. Maybe you can see why the crowds end up at the house. There's a curiosity, there's an expectation. Could it be? Is this the one? I find it striking as well what Mark notes as the result of her being healed. What does she do? What is her response? Do you see she experiences the power of Jesus? She is raised up even. And then she waits on them in verse 31. Just a few little words, but I wonder if we're meant to see what a right response is to those whom Jesus has raised up. We're to be the kind of people who live for him, who serve him, who look to him. So the king who heals, and then the bees gather around the honeypot, and the crowds are there, so Jesus withdraws. 35 to 39, the king who preaches. It's a striking little section, these middle verses. It's in the midst of popularity. He's snowballing. He's on the front page of each paper. Stacks of people seem to have their own will for what they want of Jesus. And so Jesus seems to take time out, withdraws, disappears, removes himself from the situation, from the crowds, from the disciples. Verse 35 very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Why does Mark tell us this? Why does he bother to include this little section? Different people will say different things. Is it a reminder of Jesus' humanity alongside his divinity? I'm sure that's part of it. Is it a reminder of his extraordinary close relationship with God the Father? We saw it at the baptism in in week one. I'm sure that's right too. But I think it's it's more than a call for us to do quiet times in the morning with the Lord. I think that's right. If Jesus needs to spend time with his Father, then how much more do we? But I take it there is more going on than that, which is often how it's used. I take it there's much more going on. As you, as you read through the Gospels, you see this kind of pattern happening again and again. We get it in Mark a few times, we get it in Matthew and Luke. He would frequently remove himself from the public eye and go to these quiet, desolate, solitary, wilderness places. He would be away from the crowds, away from the healings, away from the fanfare, away from the headlines, away even from his disciples. And it seems to me in each of the Gospels when he does this, It's a time of of refocusing. That seems to be the pattern. 
This is how he submits himself to the will of his father. Because it always comes at times of fame and popularity. It always seems to come at times when, when he is snowballing in terms of his ministry. The brand is growing. And ultimately he didn't come to be a miracle worker or a healer or someone particularly popular. His ultimate mission was to die on the cross. So you get it in Mark as well. We'll see it in weeks to come in chapter 6, just after the feeding of the 5,000. Again, crowds gathering around him. And so it seems again and again when he withdraws, he is deliberately focusing, he is deliberately choosing God's way. He's remembering the kind of king that he is going to be. Not a king of popularity, but a king of suffering. I take it these little episodes actually point us ahead to Gethsemane as well. The, the real desolation, the real loneliness, when he is really solitary, when he wrestles with the will of the Father, when he wrestles with the task that he's come to fulfil. And so he leaves. No doubt against all the PR advice of the time. He, he's gone. It sounds nuts. It's topsy-turvy. His popularity is growing. And we're thinking, you've got so much more opportunity with crowds around you. Why don't you pass the stuff on to them? Who will them? But no, he goes. Jesus replies, let's go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so that I can preach there also. That's why I've come. So he travelled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. He leaves Capernaum, a place of, at least to some extent, influence. Somewhere strategic. And he goes to the villages, backwaters, so he can preach. The kingdom is not a kingdom of just power and signs and miracles, but his kingdom is a people over whom he is king. And if his kingdom is a people over whom he is king, then he needs to go and preach. He's a king of truth, a king of repent and believe. We've seen it already, a kingdom of preaching, of bringing good news. And so he leaves. And as Mark does, starkly, very in your face, he rushes on to the next account to add more information for us, to give us more data so we can see who this king is. So we get a clearer picture of him. And so thirdly, where we will spend most of our time, we see the king who cleanses in verse 40 to 45. And as I said at the start, this seems to be a helpful picture, a signpost that gives us the identity of Jesus and the mission of Jesus right at the start. The word leprosy in our Bibles here is an umbrella term. It can mean all kinds of things. A whole host of horrible, infectious, painful skin diseases. It, it means all kinds of things, but it means one thing. It means exclusion for this leper. The only real way of dealing with it was quarantine. Was being cut off from the people, removed from the crowds to stop the spread. It's, it's why kids at school at the moment who are vomiting are sent home very quickly. He says from experience. You stop the spread by removing the contact. It's infectious. It's horrible. And so Levit Leviticus 13, 46, lepers were to live outside of the town. 
You can picture the consultation, can't you, in the, the doctor's surgery when Mr. Leper goes to speak to the doctor. Uh, we've had the results back. I'm sorry, it's, um, it's a pretty bad outlook. It's bleak. You have leprosy. And the man's face falls. What does that mean? Well, as it stands, there's no treatment. There's nothing I can prescribe. There's nothing at all we can do. You're going to have to leave your home immediately and go and live outside of the camp, outside of the town, in the colony. Okay, how long is that for? Well, until you get better. You said there was no cure. Yeah. It's very sad. In any meaningful sense of the word, this leper would be dead. To be healed for a leper was to be, was to be raised from the dead. It's more than just horrible, painful, infectious skin disease. The leper wasn't just physically broken and separate from the people that... The leper was spiritually broken, excluded from society, unable to worship at the temple, unclean before God, and so dead. To give you an example of this, if you were around at Maldon Road in the spring, we looked at the story of Naaman in 2 Kings 5. Remember Naaman, the Syrian soldier, he's there with leprosy, and he ends up going to a king in Israel to ask to be cured. And the king throws up his hands and says, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? The king says that to cure leprosy is God territory. That's what he does. That's part of his job description. If, for all intents and purposes, the leper is dead, then only God can raise the dead. And yet it didn't remove all hope. Or at least it hadn't for our plucky leper in the story. We're not told how he came to hear of Jesus. Maybe the news that's spreading from Simon and Andrew's mother-in-law. Maybe the crowds who had gathered the grapevine in the, um, the leper, leprosy colony. Have you heard what he's doing? It seems like there's nothing he can't do. If only we could get to see him, but we're not allowed out of the colony. And yet this guy turns up. He shouldn't have been there. He was breaking the rules to approach Jesus. But it is striking. We see just from his initial approach to Jesus some key things as to what he thinks of him. Have a look at verse 40. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. What do we learn of him? It, there's a humility and meekness. He's on his knees before Jesus. Recognition of something of the identity and power of Jesus. The hope that he has. And he says as well, he says, he, he says if you are willing. He didn't say perhaps you can. Isn't that striking? He doesn't doubt the authority of Jesus. He doesn't doubt his healing powers. He just asks whether he's willing. Jesus, are you willing to heal me? I know you can do it. But actually it's not that either. He doesn't say, if you're willing, you can heal me. He doesn't say, if you're willing, you can make me well. He says, if you're willing, you can cleanse me. Which is striking. Because that puts the discussion on a completely different level. If we think about it, 
I think it means we should listen in even more carefully because in a very real sense we are the spiritual lepers before God. We are those who are unclean naturally. As we treat God as we ought not, as we treat others in a way that we shouldn't. We are cut off from him, we are put outside the camp, we are separate, we are excluded. And so like the leper, we need cleansing. We need a relationship restored. And we need Jesus to do that for us. And so suddenly the leper's question in verse 40 should make our ears prick up. We are there with the leper as the leper, finding out how we get cleansed. Jesus, if you're willing, can you do it? And look at what he does. He's indignant. He reaches out his hand and he touches the man. The man who wouldn't have been touched for years. At least not by somebody who didn't have leprosy. And he simply touches him. He didn't have to. Elsewhere he'll just speak. Elsewhere he'll do it from a distance. But he reaches out his hand and he touches him and he loves him and he is overwhelmingly compassionate. You love this story? He's kind. I wonder if this is the Jesus that you know who is compassionate and kind and good. This isn't just theoretical. This is the one whom we serve today. This is our king whom we love. Maybe you can remember a time before you were a Christian and you were aware of your uncleanness, of where you stood before him and you perhaps brought a past with you that you were deeply ashamed of. Skeletons in your closet. But you experienced the compassion of Jesus as he reached into your life and made you clean. I find it striking how compassionate and unarmed lengths he is. He, he gets in there and he gets involved. He, he loves this man amazingly. And as someone who easily keeps people at arm's length, I find that challenging. He loves them. We need to think as individuals, church together, how, how we show that kind of compassion to those who are broken. Where we can get involved with people, where we can not be arm's length. The temptation is to withdraw because we're all so busy. We like to be comfortable. But Jesus loves them. There's a question people ask. And Jesus encounters this leper. And that is, has he flouted Old Testament law as he's touched him? Didn't have to touch him. He could have just spoken. He risks not only being made unclean himself, but he, he risks contracting the disease himself. What do we think to that? It's interesting, I think in the last decade, as I've visited people in hospital... Alcohol gel is increasingly common and popular and part of stuff. So you're supposed to use it the whole time. Some of you um, medics uh, will know exactly what I'm talking about. You squish it before you visit the patient, as you go through the door, after your visit, during the visit, 
because it's easy for bugs to spread if you don't have disinfectant on your hands. But you can go into someone's room and you can catch some of what they've got. It's grim. But it doesn't work the other way around. Wouldn't it be good if it did? If you go in and the sick person can catch your wellness, wouldn't that just revolutionise the NHS? I'd happily set up a rotor for people to go up to the JR and shake hands with people and, and they can be made better as they catch the wellness that we have. It would change things hugely. That doesn't work. It works the other way around. Which I think is why this incident is so instructive because I think it could only be Jesus who does this. It wouldn't work for anyone else. Had we been there for each and every one of us, had we touched the leper, I I take it we would have been declared unclean by the law of God. We wouldn't have been able to cleanse the leper either. But Jesus speaks and says and reaches out and touches the man and immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. And he doesn't say, he doesn't say, God is willing. He says, I am willing. Which shows us who we're dealing with and which shows us why he cannot contract uncleanness himself because I take it he's more than a man. The unclean one becomes clean. The leper is healed. He catches Jesus' cleanness. And I take it if you were there and you were able to watch the ministry of Jesus to be a fly on the wall, seeing some of the stuff that he's doing, listening to the king teach, you would be asking the kind of questions that say, where does he fit into God's plan of things? What is he all about? How does he fit into Old Testament law? Is he for it or against it? What's he just done with this leper? Has he just flouted it? Just a chapter to come, we will see arch enemies united wanting to kill him, in part because of his relationship with the law. How do they do away with him, they'll say. But it's striking here how he sends the clean man off to the priest to get his blessing. So it's 43 and 44. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone. Doesn't work. But go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Do you see, he is not in opposition to Old Testament law. He is looking to fulfil it. You can see again the history of this in the Old Testament. You can see Leviticus 14, Moses outlines how an ex-leper is to be brought back into the family again. What he must do at the temple. There's a shopping list. He's got two clean birds, cedarwood, hyssop, scarlet yarn. And then he goes to the priest who is to check that he's been cleansed, to check that he's been made clean again. The priest confirms it. You can imagine a pretty tense time for the priest. The leper turns up with a shopping list. And Jesus urges him to follow this pattern. And he ignores him. The leper doesn't do as he's meant to, verse 45. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. More and more doors are being shut because of his popularity, but people are still going to him. 
the snowball is continuing to gather momentum and then next week there will be more questions as his identity comes into clearer focus and we will see the opposition really begins because he starts saying things like your sins are forgiven. But I hope as we see this story of the leper you see more than just a nice little encounter with Jesus but actually you see the gospel in miniature it's a reminder again of of where we naturally stand before God as unclean separated cut off dead and yet look to the Jesus who has compassion who heals who loves the one who hangs on a cross outside the city walls who dies to make people clean forever. This king is much more than just a teacher to be admired or a guru to be studied. This is, this is God's king, but more than that, this is God himself, God the Son, God in the flesh, who alone can deal with our sin, who has such kindness and compassion and love, and who makes us clean and restores us and gives us life. Let me pray for us, and then we'll sing.